0: Well, I am excited to be back. I was back last week, but you know, I'm, I'm glad to be back with you and um, kind of see what's going on here among us. And uh, I, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about um, the next few weeks. Uh, we've got, a, we've got a kind of a, a game plan through Easter. Can you believe this is how we talk in church? The next thing, what are we pressing on to the next thing? My prayer for us is that we don't miss what God is doing right now. I think Dan was talking about it earlier a little bit. We can get to where we're so caught up in what's next, what's next, what's next that we totally miss what's happening right now. So maybe that's a good way to start today is to reflect on on the things that we see or the things that we know today that reveal God to us. Maybe the things that we've seen over the last week, the last year that reveal God to us. It's a great place to start. You have a real hard time sometimes when I talk about spiritual things talk about God talk about the Bible talk about Jesus because I get this response from some folks that it doesn't it doesn't really affect me it doesn't really apply to my life well I know for you it matters but for me and where I am it's I don't know it doesn't have the same effect on me Bill I appreciate you sharing it with me though I got mine. You know what I'm saying? Like it's crazy to me that we have these conversations about eternal matters, about uh, spiritual things, about our very existence, and some of us can so casually just kind of blow off the conversation. Like, yeah, I know, but I got, you know, got to go eat a taco right now. And that's crazy to me because I can't believe, I can't believe that these aren't questions that are really weighing heavily on our hearts and minds. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not for you. I think that God is trying to talk to his people, and I think you are one. I really do believe that. Wherever you are in life, I think God is trying to reach you with his love and his mercy and his message of hope and claim you as his own. So I hope today that you come to the word and to the service of worship with that expectation to at least be listening to hear if God is speaking. So one of the things that I just pulled it up there a moment ago. I was really floored. I was, I was running out. You know, we've been traveling over the holiday season. And some of you traveled as well. And I was blown away by something I saw on the side of the highway. And it was this sign right here. Who's been on the new I-64 in St. Louis? Yeah, that thing is amazing now. I mean, I commuted downtown St. Louis for like 12, 13 years. I went to Clayton for about six or seven years. And, and to get on that road now, you know, they closed that. How long was it closed? Do you know? Forever? Somebody said eight years, wasn't it? It was like six, I don't know. It was a crazy long time. I had two incidences where um, I, this was, I was thwarted, both of them were GPS related. The first was this, uh, I was going trying to make a visit out to West County somewhere and, and my GPS kept trying to get me back on 64, which didn't exist. And, and I kept hitting the detour button, I don't know if you have a GPS, it's a blessing and a curse, we talked about this before. But I kept going detour and it kept going, okay, go left, right, left, and then there was this dirt path where a highway used to be and I I am screaming at the machine like I can't go that way man but it couldn't understand that and so it kept telling me to get back on get back on the most recent thing was really funny I was going out the same thing I think this is God's humor and we got a new GPS system and I'm heading out to West County and it takes me get off here Forest Park Boulevard take this exit I'm like ooh a shortcut because if you're like a GPS nerd you think you're gonna find like the secret path to everywhere with this thing and I was so excited I'm like this is going to be a faster way to wherever I was going you know I've been there a lot I thought the highway was the fastest way and I'm driving and I'm looking at the cars on the highway you know it's like six lanes it's beautiful and all of a sudden I realized that this GPS thinks it's closed isn't that funny so I got back on the highway to come home and I was so excited to get on the highway and I saw this sign and I was have you seen this I was so stunned by this sign I stopped took a picture on the side of the highway. Yes, I know, 70 miles an hour, snow, it was crazy, but I really wanted, because this blew me away. I thought what would be so important that Missouri Department of Transportation would actually build this very expensive sign and then program in the little things to say to those who drove by, completed as promised. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? And, and at one instance, I thought, what, were, what, what was that about? Why would they put that on the side? This thing's huge. Have you seen it? Why did they put that on the side? As promised, we've done our job. As promised, we kept our word. You know, the truth is, in the beginning, actually, I think one of the things says um, completed on time, as promised. Maybe I made that up. But in my mind, that's what I was seeing. They did it, they kept their word. I didn't understand it, but I did because I know every time I go to one of those construction zones where the orange things are everywhere and it's, you know, and you think, is it ever going to be finished? Are we ever going to finish our work? So I got that. I did understand that there was a reason. I thought it was a brilliant move on their part to put up a sign that says, I-64 completed as promised. It was delivered. And I began to think about that and I thought, you know, why is a promise kept such a great thing? Why is it such a big deal that we would keep a promise or that someone would keep a promise to us? I don't know if you think it's a big deal. Someone says, you know, I'll be there. You can count on me. And then they they aren't there. I don't know if that affects you or not. Do you ever consider the importance of a promise that you've made in your life? Do you ever consider the importance of a promise that you have made maybe to a family, to your family in general? I promise to blank. Does it ever weigh on you later? You know, if you don't quite get it done. If you, you couldn't put that big sign up like that that says as promised. Finished as promised. Do you, do you ever think about promises you make to your children in your life, you know? I don't know what they are. Some of us parents are too afraid to speak the promises we make to our children because they're pretty big promises that we probably can't fulfill. Maybe in your life it's a promise you made to your husband or your wife. Those can weigh pretty heavy on you, can't they? I promise I'm going to take care of that. I promise I won't do that again. Do you ever think about those promises you make? Do you think about those promises you make to someone you love? Maybe you're not even married yet. Maybe you've never been married in your life. But is there anyone in your life you made a promise to and you're just thinking, man, am I going to be able to keep that? Am I going to be able to live up to those promises? Am I going to be able to do that? Well, One of the funny things about this time of year always to me, and I don't know if any of you do it, but we, this is the time of year of promises, specifically new promises, right? And we actually have a name for it. It's called New Year's Resolutions. And many of us got together with a bunch of family and friends and strangers on New Year's Eve, and we stood around, and we partied till midnight, which for some of us is an accomplishment, and for some others is like, it's early. You're going to bed? Are you serious? Right? But at that moment, there's this, after this jubilation of, it's a new year, it's so exciting, we start to say what are we going to do different this year? What am I going to change this year? And we'll even challenge each other. So what's your resolution? What's your resolution? Well, I don't know. You're going to make one? I don't know. I don't know if you went through that or not, but it's a time of year of making new promises for a better year. Did any of you make New Year's resolutions this year? I'm getting some, math, eh, Maybe. You know, it reminds me of, it's it's kind of this time of year, it's like, it reminds me of bootstrap time of the year. If there's ever a time of the year that you can kind of shake off the old and put on the new, you know, and grab your cowboy boots and just kind of snap them up there, man, you're ready to go. This is like the do-it-yourself kind of time of the year, right? It's going to be better. We're going to make it happen. This is going to be our year. Can you feel it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't obviously you know what I'm talking about. You're like, "No, I've given up on that years ago, I'm way beyond that now, Bill." Some of us get so convinced, so excited that this year we're going to finally do it. And here's what strikes me. And this is what I was thinking. I hope this morning will you reflect with me for a few minutes about 2009 in your life. And I don't know all the details of your life, but you do. In your life, I want you to think back to what you went through in 2009 good bad curveballs and ask yourself on New Year's Eve 2008 did you have any idea what was coming when you stood there on New Year's Eve 2008 and and maybe you did maybe you didn't make a resolution did you have any idea of the realities that you would face in 2009 See, I didn't. And I don't know, maybe you did. And if so, you may have to the gift of prophecy. I need to talk to you after service today. Because I need help with 2010. No, I think that for most of us, the reality of how our lives are lived out is not known to us when we make promises. So my question for us today, and I hope that the word will speak to us in this way, my question for us today is, so what does that mean for facing 2010? What does that mean for how we face a new year then? If really, New Year's Eve, a few days ago, we had no clue what it was going to hold for us, what, how should we live then? What should we do then? I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and we're going to open the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Father God, today we come and we just thank You for a new year. We do thank You for a new hope and new possibilities, and we thank You for the gifts You've given us to, to be transformed And today, Lord, we come to you seeking your wisdom, seeking your will, and seeking your knowledge, and um, seeking you, Lord, beyond anything you can give us, we want you, and we desire you. So today, in, in your own special way, and as your spirit leads, I pray that you would reach each of us, that you would reach into our hearts, and that we would be so stirred towards you, we would be so responding to your care for us, that we couldn't help but be saved that we couldn't help but be transformed we give you this time we set it aside as a time of sanctuary to you to your word to your spirit's movement in our life and if no other time this week we're attentive to you i pray that you would help us be attentive now open your word to our minds and our minds to your word and may we know you may we love you fully we thank you for everything you've done and all you're continuing to do Pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to turn to Exodus today. Chapter 32. And that's kind of a funny place to go, Exodus 32. I'm going to give you a minute to get there. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to open one of ours. It's page 62 of our Bibles. I invite you to turn there. Even if you've never opened a Bible in your life, I'd encourage you to grab one, look at it, stare at the words. They won't hurt you. They'll just stare back at you. That's okay. I just want to read this together first. And then we're going to talk about a few things. So this is the story that we hear in Exodus 32. It says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountains, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, "'Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me.' So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, "'These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt.' When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, "'Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord.' So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The Lord said to Moses, "'Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt.' They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and they have sacrificed to it and they have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O God, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel to whom you have sworn by your own self I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all of this land I promised them and it will be theirs it will be their inheritance forever then the lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened so Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. And they were, then, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. And the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war at the camp. And Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them into pieces at the foot of that mountain. And he took the calf they had made, and he burned it in the fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. And then he said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin. There's quite a story here that we hear in Exodus. And you know, Exodus is one of these texts that is, is so formative to the Jewish faith and it's so formative to our faith in Christ Jesus. It's so instructive to us. And this would be one of those texts that we'd say, man, that, what does that got to do with us at all? What does this have to do with how we live our lives? And I think that when we read this text of the golden calf, it's so easy to caught up in, you know, this, call it idol worship, you know. What are we doing? How is it that we have these things in our lives that are not God's that we're honoring? But this text kind of walks us through a very straightforward account of how this went down. You see, here's the problem, I think, in our lives. Sometimes we think we have the best idea you know what i mean i'm mean, i sure that some of you sitting there right now thinking i have a great idea i know how whatever should come next should come next i i can tell you how to do this i can tell you what should happen next i can already think ahead of where you are and you know what to be honest with you if that's me and you that's okay you can outthink me any day (laughs) And, you know, I can think, I will think you any day. And that's all good. The problem is, in our lives, we believe that we get beyond God's thinking ahead for us. When we come to a place in our lives where we would presume to know what's coming next. And presume then, therefore, to speak about what's going to happen. How it's going to go. What we're going to do. Where we're going to be. You see, the truth, I think, is that sometimes our best plans for our life can be the worst idea ever. And I'm not trying to discourage you from making new resolutions and, and newfound, you know, we got some folks starting up with Team 619, I'm so excited for people who are just going to do it. It's awesome. But I want us to always be cautioned that we are first and foremost listening To what God is calling us to. To what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes we have these great plans and and we think they're going to go great. It's going to be fantastic. And it just doesn't. It doesn't. It's awful. It's a bad experience. And maybe that reflection on 2009, you think, man, I got everything I wanted to get done, done. Right? I bet you didn't. I know I didn't. And when we look back on the year, what got us through wasn't our own wisdom. So I want to kind of walk through this text a little bit. I want to talk about this, right? And the first thing I wanted to say, well, I already said one of them, which is the best plans we have. It can be the worst idea. But the first is this, that we don't know what we don't know. As you face 2010 in your life, you don't know what you don't know about your future. And therefore, as silly as it might seem to you and to me, we would presume upon it just as the Israelites did. I want you to look at it. says in the first, chat, the first verse of 32, it says this, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods that will go before us. Here's the problem. And this maybe is where you are right now today. We presume that God doesn't know where we are. You know what I mean? We preserve we presume that, that God has has made a mistake here, that God has got something wrong here. And, and we stand in this place of, of outthinking the one who thought us all up. You see, Moses was up on the mountain doing exactly what God wanted. He actually had a divine revelation. You see what it said when Moses broke those tablets? It was the very work of God in his life. It was the very handwriting of God. You know there's two sets of tablets for the commandments? The first one God wrote, the second one Moses wrote. That's the story. Because the one that God was so long in making, the one that God had his servant on the mountain working through, was smashed. Because of what? The anger of Moses? Moses? the impatience of the people. And I think sometimes in our life, we can be at the foot of that mountain and we can just be saying, God, what are you doing up there? What's going on? And we can become impatient with the one who's been saving us. What's really funny, and and this whole, by the way, this whole series is called Promise Keeper, right? And, And what's so funny is that God had been so faithful to Israel He had been so faithful to them. And I want you to see what it says in verse 1. It says, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron was the helper of Moses. And they said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this guy, Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. And that means that God had been leading his people and the people did not acknowledge it. And, and, you know, I don't know how you think you survived 2009. I don't know what your testimony about it is. I don't know if you said, man, I did it. I did good. I was, I got my P's and Q's crossed and my I's and T's dotted. You know what I mean? I don't know what you're saying about 2009, but my prayer for you is that you know that the God who created all things has been forming your life, has been molding your life. And you might be standing on a precipice today and thinking, God, you don't know where I am. And I've got news for you. He knows exactly, exactly where you are. And your testimony about 2009 should be a testimony of his preservation of you, his love of you, his drawing you, his patience with you. That's his testimony with me. And I don't mean church stuff, folks. Folks. I mean, life stuff. The stuff that matters a lot. God just loves us through it, shows us through it. And we get to the end of a year that's been a fiasco in our eyes. And we have the audacity to say, I'm going to do better this time. Let's say God did so good last time. So they're standing here, and, and, and they're at the same spot in so many ways. They could just wait and trust God, and they're going to go ahead and do something about it. And you know, this is the other thing. This is the second thing I think this text talks about a little bit. And it's that our actions can look great. I, I think we're convinced that something is always better than nothing in our lives. Don't you think? Like, like just do something hurry up quick do something that's the society we live in right no matter what's happening do something I want you to look at verse 2 Aaron answered them and he said and this is Aaron's response by the way this is a leader that God has appointed and so I don't want you to ever think that leaders are beyond reproach or beyond failure or beyond uh, rebuke because here is Aaron and this is what he says take off your gold earrings that your wives your sons and your daughters are wearing hey look sons are wearing earrings that's good and bring them to me And so they popped out their earrings and they brought them to Aaron and he took them and he he molded them. I just lost my place. He took what they handed him and he cast it in the shape of a calf and he fashioned it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Right? And all this activity probably seemed pretty good to them. Hey, we're going to do something. Here's the action plan. We're all going to give, and they all gave. We're all going to contribute, and they all contributed. And then Aaron, this one who was appointed by God. Remember, Aaron was appointed by God like Moses was appointed by God. Aaron's there, and he actually takes it and melts the gifts of the people into this really beautiful thing. He just kind of puts it together, and he, and he actually takes a chisel. Why would it say that? Why would it say it's just more than the fact that he, he molded it, but he actually fashioned it? He was, he was looking at it. It's not quite. Hang on a minute. Let me get this stuff. And he he got it. Just oh boy, he was doing some good work, wasn't he? He's glorifying God. God's people. We're going to glorify God. We're going to make something that's going to be worth dancing around. God help us. And he did. He did. And everybody thought, man, this is great. We're going to dance around it. We're going to have a party. And they did. And the truth is that sometimes doing something without God is way worse than doing nothing with him. Sometimes our call as believers is to wait. Sometimes our call as a non-believer is to wait. I mean to tell you there were times when I did not know Christ. I would stand on that verge, that edge, and I was, everything was in me to say, flee, run away from this place, don't stay here, get out, this is dangerous. And you know what? It, I was right. Because that's the place where God's about to love you into the kingdom. He's about to give you a real treasure that you can receive. Here's the third thing you see. Sometimes in our life, this action, this activity can feel like progress. It can feel like we're doing a good thing. And I'm just going to touch one more text here. and then I just want to hear this with me. It says, when Aaron saw, what? When he saw this, what did he see? He saw the people say that this is our God. Now here's the fatal flaw of Aaron. If there is one in the story, here's one, one more of them. Is that when he crafted this, when he had manipulated this gift of the people into something that was worthy of worship, he actually believed it. He actually lied and said, this is the one that brought you out of Egypt. I want to tell you that whatever you can manifest in your life, whatever you can put up there in fashion and and, and get all excited and get it just right and dance around, is not the God who is leading you into the promised land. The God that we follow is a holy God. This is his work in our lives. It's for his glory and his honor. And Moses, and Aaron stands there in this place and he says, he built an altar in front of that calf that they had said, these are, this is the God, these are our gods that led us out of Egypt. And he says, I'm going to build an altar, and tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. And we believe it. We believe we can make something that's worth worth anything and then just put the god stamp on it and it's okay and he says tomorrow there's gonna be a festival to the lord right here and so the next day the people rose early look at the dedication of these people and they sacrificed the burnt offerings they presented, presented fellowship offerings and afterward they sat down to eat and drink and indulge revelry. and i mean it sounds like a great time i mean it sounds like since they've been in the desert this is the time of their life They have never worshipped Yahweh like this. They have never had so much fun. They have never had the experience of giving and sacrifice and discipline. And it's all so good. Except that God isn't in it. God isn't in it. So here's God's response. I want you to see, by the way, I want to tell you something here. This capital L-O-R-D, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the Lord's name, Yahweh, the Holy God. And he's the one that they said, we're going to have a festival to the Lord, Yahweh, the one who breathed life into us. And the same Yahweh, right at the moment when they got up early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and they, they had it all together, Yahweh is up the mountain with Moses. And this is his decision. He says, you go down there because your people who you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I've commanded. And have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You see, God saw all of it. He knew all of it. And he knows we do it in our own lives too. And they have bowed down to it. And they have sacrificed to it. And they have even said that these are your gods who led you out of Egypt. And then here's his decision. He says, I have seen these people, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them, that I may destroy them. And listen to what he says to Moses. Hey, and by the way, I'll still make you a great nation. I don't know how you'd be feeling if you were Moses on the mountain with God right then. If you're the only one who is where you're supposed to be at that moment in time and everyone else is going crazy down the mountain and God says, I'm going to strike them, but I'm going to make you a great nation. His promise will be fulfilled. The words that struck me this morning, Dan, you were up here earlier. The words that struck me was, this is a stiff-necked people. I wonder, do we have the ability? You know, what does it mean to be a stiff-necked person? Do we have the ability to turn our eyes from this plane of existence, from this maybe? Maybe you walk around your life is like this. Do we have the ability to, to look up? Do we have the ability to think higher thoughts? Do we have the ability to actually believe? I mean, at any age in our life, that the creator of all things is actually knitting us together and saving us and transforming us and not be stiff-necked? and not be always up here not be always down here but be able to look around to see what God is doing to acknowledge his goodness in your life he says they're stiff necked people they're corrupt people and I'm going to strike them off the earth but I'll make you a great nation And I love, this is the heart of a leader, man. Moses turns and he looks for the favor of Yahweh. And he says, oh Lord, now listen to his appeal to God. Yahweh, why would your anger burn against your people? whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. You see, Moses' confession is, God, I know it wasn't the calf. I know it wasn't Aaron. I know it wasn't their tools. I know it even wasn't their earrings and their gold and their sacrifices that brought them out. But it was your grace. It was your love. It was you who led them out of Egypt. Not only led them out, but with great power and a mighty hand, he says. And then he starts to talk about the rest of the world. And he says, why would the Egyptians say, why would you have the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn against your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants. Listen to what he says. Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore, what? By your own self. I will make you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I just want to talk to you for a minute this morning. If you have any hope of salvation, if you have any hope of right living, if you have any hope of a great 2010, it's going to be found in God's promises to himself to fulfill it in you, his people. I really believe that. You you say, well, why, why am I so special that God would use me? You're not. But God has made a declaration over you. In your life, God has taken the claim in your life, and therefore He will not relent until He has His property back. He won't. He won't leave us alone until we're fully His. And this appeal, this promise, and Moses reminds God. He says, "You promised to bring these people out. You led them here, and surely you're not going to strike them dead halfway on the journey." And you know what? God turns in His mercy and does not bring disaster. You know, I think for um, many of us, we can believe, we talked to a few people this morning, you know, we can believe that we are so critical to God's work in other people's lives. We can believe that if we don't do it, it won't get done. God is doing the work among us. God is working among us in our lives. And in 2009, and maybe you hadn't before now, but I hope when you look back, you don't see the burden, the difficulty, the failure, but you see God's sustaining hand all the way through whatever you faced. That he's been carrying you and lifting you up. I pray that you don't sit back and hope for your own best promises this year. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about some areas of our life that I think really matter. Really matter where we have promises that need to be kept in our, in our lives. And I hope that our, at the end of the day, we don't say, Man, I'm going to keep that. all by my, I'm going to do my best and it's going to happen. But that by the power of God, we would have his promises in our life applied to those areas. That we would just be giving things to God and saying, you called me into this, help me through it. You called me into this, lead me through it. I want you to say too, it doesn't mean it's going to be passive and like, you're not apathetic. It says with a mighty hand, he led him out of Egypt. God will do great things when God is having his way. When God is getting the glory. I want to read one other text to you this morning. It's Romans, you know the turn there, chapter ten. And, and this is what we find here in verse nine. I'm gonna start in verse five. It says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, who will go up to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, who will go down to bring Christ up. But what does it say? Listen to the word. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. That if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you would believe in your heart that God raises from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between a religious person and a non-religious person. The same Lord is God of all, and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on His name, on the name of the Lord, will be saved. You know, at the end of the day, the only hope, the only trust that we have is that God has provided a way for us to be right with Him. And you know, I want to tell you, Family Bible Church, and as me as a believer in Jesus Christ, I can tell you no other way. But to trust that in Jesus, we just celebrated Christmas, God made flesh in Jesus that was paid in full. You can't earn it. You can't have it. It's not yours. It's a gift from him to you and you just receive it. There's nothing else. And in these promises that we find God keeping, we find the greatest promise of all in in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And they're going to, they're going to lead us in a, a time of reflection. But I pray that uh, we know that right there. I pray that as 2010 unfolds before us that whatever scary stuff is lying out ahead whatever it is and God knows where you are I pray that you know in your life that God is the one that's making promises over you and you know maybe maybe you don't understand this yet and, and I've been there and maybe you don't get it I would encourage you to keep thinking, keep listening, keep dwelling, be open, don't be stiff-necked, because God is trying to reach you where you are, and I can only tell you that because he reached me where I was. I wasn't where any of you were when he reached me. I was in a place where I thought, man, I'm so far from God, there's no hope, there's no way, and I want to tell you that in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which I find revealed in this book, I found peace, and hope, and love, and mercy, and a way forward. I pray the same is true for you. And so today, as the band leads us in the song, I want you just to dwell in these words. I want you to think about the promise that God has made in Jesus Christ, that anyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their lips will be saved. I want you to dwell on that today. If there's something you need to get right with God, you can do it where you are. I'm going to sit down here in the front. If you want to come and sit and pray with me, I will be here to pray with you. I'm not magic. I'm not even Moses on the mountain. I'm just someone that God is saving and has saved. And I would love to be praying with you. If there's something you make right, I'd invite you up today to make it right. If you need to get that golden calf out of the way and be real, I invite you to come and be real. I would love to pray with you. Let's start by praying that we'll let the band lead us. Father God, today, you're working in hearts and minds here. I, I know your spirit's having this way this morning. I pray that you would have your way with us, that whatever it is we need to give up and get over and, and move on from, that that would happen not by our power but by yours. We thank you today, and I just pray your spirit would work. I pray that we'd be out of the way of your spirit's working. In Christ's name, amen.